And welcome back. For Jeff MacArthur, I'm Arlene Bynan. And now we have some new things to get reaction to after yesterday's, of course, announcement of the lockdown. There is a great hue and cry across the province. And here we are, the premier going a little bit farther. Some interesting things that happened here. His his criticism of the federal government, I want to talk about that later, but then also kind of trying to embrace them at the same time. And also, so tossing a few things out for business, was it enough? Soothing words. We have grants. These are not loans that is going out to, to business. But should he have waited or should he have done it at all? There we, were, we are a country divided but committed in so many ways to get this thing fixed. We'll continue with our reaction here. I'd like to welcome Carl Littler, who is the SVP Public Affairs Retail Council of Canada. And Carl, good afternoon. How are you? Fine, thanks. How are you? I am okay. How do you feel as you listen to the Premier today? Did he speak to your soul as the with the Retail Council of Canada. <laughs> Did he make think, a difference to you, Carol? <laughs> I think, to be frank, that our, our soul is troubled more by the dire straits that uh, many of our uh, businesses and, 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 frankly, also employees find themselves in at this time of year. So I'm not sure that mollifying words would really have uh, done a lot to address um, what they're going through. All right. What could he have done? What worries you the most about our situation, Carl? Well, the trouble we have is, of course, everybody understands that health has to be front and foremost. And, and so that's fine as far as it goes. The difficulty we've had with the rules that have been in place uh, in much of Ontario and are now tightened and broadly applicable across the province is that there is only the most tenuous connection between retail shopping and COVID infection. And, uh, you know, so some of the data suggests it's about one in every 400 cases. Uh, and, of course, one case is too many, but retailers are taking strenuous steps and would take more. And we propose uh, on several occasions, including directly to the Premier, to have very low capacity openings, in some cases for smaller stores, by appointment type visits, given the lack of any direct data that really connects uh, infections to retail. So that's a big part of the, the, the issue that we have with the province's stance. And, of course, the economic damage that's being done to businesses is so deep that, you know, even with some uh, limited provincial support, it's only going to be a drop in the bucket relative to the losses that are, you know, in the hundreds of millions of dollars a day. It is. It's a terrible, terrible situation. You know, one of the things that the premier said, and you can almost feel him struggling. And then he said, I'm just going to I'm going to do it. And he said, you can't control this virus. Nobody's been able to do it unless you do a big shutdown. And I don't know of anyone who has been able to marry it at the beginning when the cases are rising. Is there a model that you're looking at here, Carl, a way forward that you can say, okay, here's how some part of our world handled this? So I don't think that there's a a perfect case in point. I mean, you know, there was a time when people pointed to Sweden until that all went south. So, uh, no, there's no perfect Mm -hmm. model. No question that if you're prepared to take steps, that essentially constrain people to their homes, as is effectively the case in the UK right now, 
you are going to have a period in which you reduce um, the level of infection. But of course, the UK is going through that for the second time. So it doesn't mean that you that you uh, kill it off, as it were. It's more that it goes into abeyance. And I'm not suggesting uh, that we uh, don't take steps to control it. Absolutely. I think conceptually, we can understand why the province would want a short, sharp shutdown. But if that's to be the case, it should be really shut down, as opposed yeah. to the kind of experience that we have had where we're shut and restaurants have been shut for longer and then you're shut again. Um, this isn't just some circuit breaker of a few weeks with everybody basically bearing the same responsibility. This is something that's dragging on for months and it's the second big round of this. And at some point, retailers and other merchants, I'm sure, restaurateurs and so on, who are, are taking safe practices, they ask the question, why should we be essentially asked to bear an immense economic cost, in some cases the loss of our businesses, because people may not be socially distancing in social environments. And so there's a lot of, 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 of opacity, if you like. It is kind of opaque, the direct connection between what they've done and the better health outcomes that they're seeking. I think we would, you know, if there was a direct linkage from A to B, uh, it's not that we would like it, but I think we would understand it better. The province and, frankly, the chief medical officer of health have never advanced any compelling data for the measures that they take. It is, but we know it spreads indoors. Four walls, uh, that's how it goes. And if if you're closed in, there's a good chance that it's not going to get out unless you have good ventilation and all those things. Carl, let me ask you, because I think everybody can really realize your last statement is very true, though. Why should a certain segment pay just because it's not working in another segment. Carl, has it changed anything for your perception of politics and retail here? No, I look, you know, I believe that the Premier does not in any way uh, take this lightly, um, and, and the government more generally, and I think that would be true of all political strikes. Nobody is being blasé about this, and so... Their belief is that by taking certain steps to discourage people essentially from leaving the home, other than maybe for the great outdoors, um, that they're going to be able to contain and, redu- and, and, and reduce the, the trajectory of the infection. And I think if that were in fact the case, um, you know, potentially that might succeed. I think the difficulty is that everybody has a foot in one camp. You won't say on the one hand, you know, mm-hmm. you can't go out. But on the other hand, you strip away any reason for you to go out and you sort of hope that, you know, with a bit of social pressure and some encouragement, that's going to make the difference. I think you've kind of got to be fish or fowl. And, and, and the trouble is with a kind of foot in, in, in not pushing people, individuals too hard, what's happening is that the businesses are bearing a particularly difficult uh, difficult weight. And, and I want to put it in context, of course. I mean, obviously, we're not bearing the kind of weight that you know, individuals are on the front line of healthcare are bearing, and that's an important factor, nor those who've been directly affected themselves. But it's not a minor consequence for those who lose their business or lose their job. No, it isn't. What are people saying in retail? Are we seeing entrepreneurial spirit? You know, as I was surprised, I see something close and then I see a new business pop up and I'm like, who are you? What are you thinking? And what made you take the plunge right there? Because entrepreneurs are fabulous people, in my opinion, and they they feel a lot of the, the hope and they see things and they make us all, they make our lives, they make our 
They make not just our business communities, they make our neighborhoods. Carl, what are you seeing? Is the entrepreneurial spirit alive and well, or is it dampened down with the water well, I, I and this think fire? People, you know, I think entrepreneurs are irrepressible um, for the most part, and, and certainly you see some of that in some of the kind of street-facing um, community-type stores uh, that people are being mm-hmm. pretty inventive and that they're getting a lot of community support. That's not really going to help you very much if you're inside a shopping mall, right? And mm-hmm. and so, you know, there are inventive ways to deal with it, and obviously people are doing what they can to bolster curbside and to bolster e-commerce, you know. And so th- th- there is good work being done to, to try and make the best of a bad situation, but not everybody is equally placed. I mean, as I you know just described, if you're inside a mall – and that mall is effectively closed other than maybe one pickup point for e-commerce, then it's going to be much harder for you to make a success out of that than it is, say, for a street front entity in a well-traveled, uh, you know, sort of area of town where, you know, you can perhaps rely upon um, rely upon sort of mutual support and also a, a strong willingness among customers to buy local. So it's not like all answers work for everybody. Yeah, it's true. Carl, take care. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year's. Thank good, you. Thank you. All right. Good luck out there. Carl Littler, Public Affairs Retail Council of Canada. And we were talking about how we feel for politicians with Rocco Rossi. And listening to Carl, I feel for people who are head of these councils. And, you know, they get in there, the fire in the belly and all of that. And wow, you know, they had a list of priorities. And then this. We might do, you know, it might be kind of pre-COVID and post-COVID in our minds, isn't it? As we look at, you know, as I was asking there about the entrepreneurial spirit, you just know there are people out there who just are thinking around this. They're bending, bending around that problem and thinking that they can get out the other side for some, oh gosh, everything, their savings, all of it. Wow, a lot of empathy we're shooting out here today. We're going to take a break. We're going to continue with reaction. You know, uh, Carl Littler, there was very clear. We know that there are people on the front lines. Let's talk about what they're thinking after these announcements, because they're a little bit different, I can imagine. Why did they wait? Why delay if you think it's going to save lives? Let's ask that question. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. And we're back. I'm Arlene Bynan, in for Jeff MacArthur. Let's stick with travel for a moment. We had Marty Firestone on yesterday, president of Travel Secure, as we talked about vaccines and Floridas and snowbirds. And then the premier started speaking. We've invited Marty back for a longer chat today, especially about what's happening in the UK and breaking news. Marty Firestone, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. What do you make of this? I mean, you're trying to, you know, work in the travel business, and then we have these, this massive shutdown here. Marty, what's going through your mind and other people working in travel? Well, the, the big concern, I would think, from an insurance perspective is you bought travel insurance from this date to that date, as an example, and then you find out now that the country has basically closed the border, that, that you can't fly back to Canada. That would be an immediate concern of mine, and I would get calls from people saying, can you extend my insurance? The answer is yes. All the insurance companies have provisions. If there was a border closing or decision to not allow you to return, they will extend the insurance automatically. So that's a good thing. As far as this three days, I question why three days is going to mean anything here. You, yeah. you know, it could go longer because if there's a, a, a virulent uh, sort of aspect to it, who says it's going to clear up in three days that you're prepared to have people come back? 
Let's face it, it's going longer than three days, isn't it, Marty? I mean, we're not, and we can't make that announcement, but I would be pretty surprised if they go, we're all good here. Yeah, I don't understand in three days what you're going to solve and conquer short of the tests when they arrive back in the country. And even then, we know that's not the definitive answer. You could be negative and then two days later turn to be positive. So that's a problem. It's a big problem. Marty, you know, with the vaccine there, a lot of people are dreaming of travel. What do you think the reality is? We've heard, I think uh, there was a big story in Bloomberg about a month ago saying 2000 and, you know, it's going to be really 2024 for the airlines. How are you feeling about the, just this stark reality here, Marty? From the snowbird perspective, which is a big mm-hmm. part of my clientele, yeah. this year this year should be put on ice. I hate to say it, it's a write-off. Mm-hmm. No matter whether we have 30% of my clientele traveling or not, they are doing it on their own. They are rolling the dice. They have the attitude, I'm going to bubble there rather than bubble here. The 70% others were waiting for that travel advisory to get lifted. It didn't. Every 30 days, they just add another 30 days onto it. So at some point, January 21st is going to become February 21st, and then you know what? The season's over. So I believe very little travel this year. My hopes are that by next November, everybody will have been vaccinated. The herd immunity they talk about will finally be achieved, and people will travel more than ever because they will appreciate and things they took for granted, they will now say, let's get away and let's enjoy and have a good time. You know, you've raised a really good point. Times are tough, but when those gates open, people are going to go crazy, aren't they? They really are going to go nuts. En masse, I think they are going to go away for longer, enjoy things, and again, take things that they used to take for granted and now say how special it is to be able to get on a plane and fly to our home down south or whatever. Cruise ships could still be, in my opinion, a long way up. I'm not so sure people are going to run back onto them so quickly. No. Marty, you know, a lot of people talking about grants here and grants there and helping the airlines and small business. What about people like you in the travel industry? Are you getting enough love these days? It's uh, a challenge, I will tell you, but I've accepted Mm -hmm. that challenge. And I said, you know what, I'd rather be upfront with my clientele and suggest to them, I don't think this is the time to travel. And you know what, they'll come back in droves next year with saying, you were honest, you told us the truth. And in spite of a potential sale, you thought it was best to hold tight. So I I can live with that, that I I believe that if you're upfront and you're sincere, that will uh, get you a lot going forward. All right. Where can you know? I know people have been renting chalets. They were renting them in Quebec, and you know, I was saying, boy, I, I think they're closing down that province. And then people kind of going out west. Are are people going anywhere in the in yeah. the next little while? Have they shut things down? Right. Well, from a travel insurance perspective, I, I say Canada, you, 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 the provinces all talk to one another with regard to the government health insurance mm-hmm. plan. So you don't necessarily need travel insurance as we know it per se to travel within Canada. However, like you said, BC was a huge spot that we were mm-hmm. seeing people go to and who were calling me and getting travel insurance. And I said, you know what, barring you don't hurt, break your leg on a mountain and need to be helicoptered off, I'm not sure of the need for insurance. But now if you aren't going to be able to get there or the provinces are going to start saying, don't come to Quebec over Christmas. And Ontario saying, Quebec, don't come here. This is just going to throw everybody for a loop. And basically, you're going to be prisoners in your own home. You are. Marty, are you selling pizza part-time or anything to supplement your income? <laughs> I'm thinking of becoming a radio personality. I don't know if you think that's in the cards. <laughs> well, we had you on for two days, so you're taking a pretty good run at it, Marty. Marty, yeah, you could. You could do kind of, you know, travel in your future. You could be, you could kind of look into people's minds and stuff and predict their travel. 
arrangement. That's true. The, the vaccine in Florida is now a new way to incentivize travel. I've never seen one like that, but they are officially telling snowbirds to come down and we will vaccinate you. Wow. Here. That to me is just, where, where'd that one come from? Wow, they used to offer them free dinners to go to a condo sales meeting and now they're going to vaccinate you at the same time, which maybe they could combine that. That's a good business plan. Marty Firestone, good luck. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate Thanks it. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Okay. Marty Firestone, president of Travel Secure. Somebody's out there, I bet you know, look at our condo sales or one of those timeshares or something, and we'll give you a free vaccination, and then you'll have dinner, dinner and drinks, and you'll watch our video, and and we'll also give you a shot. They'll be just flying there flying there. Thank you for joining me today. It was my pleasure to fill in for Jeff MacArthur. I am back tomorrow and take care out there and stay safe, all that stuff. I I don't even feel funny saying those things. We all know it.